Bhagwan, the master Tazan was weighing some flax in the storeroom. A monk came up to him and asked, What is Buddha? Tazan said, This flax weighs five pounds. Religion is not concerned with philosophical questions and answers. Howsoever profound looking they are stupid and a sheer waste of life, time, energy and consciousness. Because you can go on asking, and answers can be given, but from answers only more questions will come out. If in the beginning there was one question, in the end, through many answers there will be million questions. Philosophy solves nothing. It promises but never solves anything. All those promises remain unfulfilled, but it goes on promising. But the experience which can solve the riddles of the mind cannot be attained through philosophical speculation. Buddha was absolutely against philosophy. Never there has been a man more against philosophy than Buddha. Through his own bitter experience, he came to understand that all those profundities of philosophy are just superficial. Even the greatest philosopher remains as ordinary as anyone. No problem has been solved, not even touched. He carries much knowledge, many answers, but he remains the same old man. No new life has happened to him. And the crux, the core of the matter is that mind is a question-raising faculty. It can raise any sorts of questions. And then it can befool itself by answering them. But you are the questioner. And you are the one who solves them. Ignorance creates questions. And ignorance creates answers. The same mind creates in both the ways. How a questioning mind can come to an answer? Deep down, 
the mind itself is the question. So philosophy tries to answer questions of the mind and religion looks at the very base. The mind is the question and unless mind is dropped, the answer will not be revealed to you. Mind won't allow you. Mind is the barrier, the wall. When there is no mind, you are experiencing being. When the mind is there, you are a verbalizing being. In a small school it happened. There was a very stupid child. He never asked any questions. And the teacher also neglected him. But one day he was very much excited. When the teacher was explaining a certain problem of arithmetic, writing some figures on the board, the child was very much excited. He was raising again and again his hand. He wanted to ask something. When the teacher finished with the problem, she asked the figures from the board and she was very happy that for the first time this child has been so excited to ask something and he said, I am happy that you are ready to ask something. Go ahead, ask. The child stood and he said, I am very much worried and the question comes again and again to me but I couldn't gather courage to ask. Today, I have decided to ask where these damn figures go when you wash them off. The question is very philosophical. All questions are like this. Many ask where a Buddha goes when he dies. The question is the same. Where is God? The question is the same. What is truth? The question is the same. But you cannot feel the stupidity hidden in them. Because they look very profound. And they have a long tradition. People have been asking them. And people you think very great have been concerned with them, theorizing, finding answers, creating systems. But the whole effort is useless because only experience can give you the answer, not thinking. And if you go on thinking, you will become more and more mad and the answer will be still far away, more far away than ever. Buddha says, when the mind stops questioning, the answer happens. It is because you are too much concerned with the questions, 
the answer cannot enter you. You are in such a trouble. You are so much disturbed, so much tense. The reality cannot enter in you. You are so much shaking inside, trembling with fear, with neurosis, with stupid questions and answers, with systems, philosophies, theories. You are so filled up. Mullah Nasruddin was passing through a village in his car. Many crowds were there, gathered on many spots. He was worried what is the matter. Nobody was on the streets, everybody was gathered somewhere or other. Then he saw one policeman. He stopped the policeman and asked, what is the matter? Has something gone wrong? What has happened? I don't see people anywhere working, moving on the shops. They are gathered in many crowds. The policeman could not believe his eyes. He said, what are you asking? There has been an earthquake just now. Many houses have fallen. Many people are dead. The policeman said, I cannot believe that you couldn't feel the earthquake. Nasuddin said, because of alcohol, I am always so much seeking. My hands are so jittery. That's why I missed. If an earthquake is going inside you continuously, then a real earthquake will not be capable to enter in you. When you are silent and still, then the reality happens. And questioning is a trembling inside. Questioning means doubt. Doubt means trembling. Questioning means you don't trust anything. Everything has become a question. And when everything is a question, there will be very much anxiety. Have you observed yourself? Everything becomes a question. If you are miserable, it is a question why. Even if you are happy, it is a question why. You cannot believe yourself being happy. People come to me. When meditation goes deeper and they have glimpses, they come to me very much disturbed. Because they say something is happening. They cannot believe that it is happening to them or a bliss can happen. There must be some deception. People have told me, are you hypnotizing? Because something is happening. They cannot believe 
that they can be blissful, somebody must be hypnotizing them. They cannot believe that they can be silent. Impossible. Why? Why I am silent? Somebody is playing trick. Trust is not possible for a questioning mind. Immediately experience is there, the mind creates a question why. The flower is there, if you trust, you will feel a beauty, a blooming of beauty. But the mind said, why? Why this flower is called beautiful? What is beauty? You are going astray. You are in love. The mind asks, why? What is love? It is reported that Saint Augustine has said that I know what time is, but when people ask me, everything is lost. I cannot answer. I know what love is, but you ask me what is love, and I am at a loss. I cannot answer. I know what God is, but you ask, and I am at a loss. And Augustine is right because profundities cannot be asked, cannot be questioned. You cannot put a question mark on a mystery. If you put a question mark, the question mark becomes more important and the question covers the whole mystery. And you think when you have solved the question, then you will leave the mystery. You will never live it. Questioning is irrelevant in religion. Trust is relevant. Trust means moving into the experience, into the unknown without asking much. Going through it to know it. I tell you about a beautiful morning outside and you start questioning about it here, walled in a room, enclosed. And you would like your every question to be answered before you take a step out. How can I tell you if you have never known what morning is? How can I tell you? Only that can be told through words which you already know. How can I tell you that there is light, beautiful light, falling through the trees and the whole sky is filled with light, the sun has arisen. If you have always lived in darkness, if your eyes are accustomed only to dark, how I can explain to you that the sun has arisen? He will ask, what do you mean? Are you trying to deceive us? We have lived all our life and we have never known anything like light. First answer our questions and then if we are convinced, we can come out with you 
Otherwise, it seems you are leading us astray, astray from our settled life. But how the light can be told if you don't know about it? But that's what you are asking, convince us about God. Then we will meditate, then we will pray, then we will search. How can we search before? the conviction is there. How can we go on a search when we don't know where we are going? This is distrust. And because of this distrust, you cannot move into the unknown. The known clings to you and you cling to the known. And known is the dead past. It may feel cozy, because you have lived in it, but it is dead, it is not alive. The alive is always the unknown, knocking at your door, move with it, but how can you move without trust? And even doubting persons think that they have trust. Once it happened, Mullah Nasuddin told me that he is thinking to divorce his wife. I asked, why? Why so suddenly? Nasuddin said, I doubt her fidelity towards me. So I told him, wait, I will ask your wife. So I told the wife, that Nasuddin is talking around the town and creating a rumor that you are not faithful. And he is thinking to divorce. So what is the matter? The wife said, this is too much. Nobody has ever insulted me like that. And I tell you that I have been faithful to him dozens of times. It is not a question of dozens of times. You also trust, but dozens of times. That trust cannot be very deep. It is just utilitarian. You trust whenever you feel it pays. But whenever the unknown knocks, you never trust. Because you don't know whether it is going to pay or not. And faith and trust are not a question of utility. They are not utilities. You cannot use them. If you want to use them, you kill them. They are not utilitarian at all. You can enjoy them, you can be blissful about them, but they don't pay. They don't pay in the terms of this world. 
on the contrary the whole world will look at to you that you are a fool because the world thinks someone wise if he doubts the world thinks someone wise if he questions the world thinks someone wise only when he moves a step with conviction before he is convinced he will not move this is the cunningness and the cleverness of the world and the world calls such people wise they are fools as far as buddha is concerned because through their so called wisdom they are missing the greatest and the greatest cannot be used you can merge with it you cannot use it it has no utility it is not a commodity it is an experience it's an ecstasy you cannot sell it you cannot make a business out of it rather on the contrary you are lost in it completely you will never be the same again in fact you can never come back it is a point of no return you go you go you cannot go back there is no going back it is dangerous so only very courageous people can enter on the path religion is not for cowards but you will find in churches temples mass cowards they have destroyed the whole thing religion is only for the very very courageous those who can take the dangerous step and the dangerous step is from the known towards the unknown the dangerous step is from the mind to no mind from questioning to no question from doubt to trust before we enter this is small but beautiful anecdote it is just like a diamond very small but very valuable few more things to be understood one you will be able to understand it only when you can take a jump when you can bridge somehow the known with the unknown mind with no mind second thing religion is not at all a question of thinking it is not a question of right thinking that if you think rightly you will become religious no whether you think rightly or wrongly you will remain unreligious people think that if you think rightly you will become religious people think that if you think wrongly you will go astray but i tell you if you think you will go astray right or wrong is not the point if you don't think 
only then you are on the path. Think and you miss. You have already gone on a long journey. You are no more here now. The present is missed. And reality is only in the present. With mind you go on missing. Mind has a mechanism. It moves in circles. Vicious circles. Try to observe your own mind. Has it been a journey or just moving in circles? Have you been really moving or just moving in a circle? You repeat the same again and again. Day before yesterday you were angry. Yesterday you were angry. Today you have been angry. And there is every possibility tomorrow you are going to be angry. And do you feel that anger is different? Day before yesterday it was the same. Yesterday it was the same. Today it is the same. Anger is the same. Situations may differ. Excuses may differ, but the anger is the same. Are you moving? Are you going somewhere? Is there any progress? Are you reaching to some goal nearer? You are moving in a circle reaching nowhere. Circle may be very big, but how you can move if you move in a circle? I overheard once, walking in the afternoon, I heard from the inside of a small house, a child was whining and saying, Mom, I'm fed up with moving in circles. The mother said, either you shut up or I will nail your other foot also to the floor. But you are not yet fed up. One foot is nailed to the earth. And like the child you are moving in circles. You are like a broken gramophone record. The same line repeats. It goes on repeating. Have you ever listened to a broken gramophone record? Listen. It is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's Transcendental Meditation, DM. You re repeat one thing. Ram, 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 Ram. Go on repeating. You get bored. Through boredom you feel sleepy. Sleep is good. After the sleep you feel fresh. But this is not going towards truth at all. It is just getting a good sleep out of a trick. But this is 
this TM you are doing continuously. Your whole life is a TM. Repeating. Moving on the same groove again and again and again. Where are you going? Whenever you will be aware of this, you will feel simply what has been happening. You will feel very strange, shocked, that the whole life has been a misuse. You have not moved a single inch. Sooner the better. If you realize this, sooner the better. Because through this realization something is possible. Why this repetition? Mind is repetitive. It is a broken record. The very nature of it is just like a broken record. You cannot change it. A broken record can be repaired, mind cannot be. Because the very nature of the mind is to repeat. Repetition is the nature of the mind. At the most you can make bigger circles. And with bigger circles you can feel that there is some freedom. With bigger circles you can deceive yourself that things are not repeating. Somebody's circle is just 24 hours. If you are clever you can make a circle of 30 days. If you are even more clever, you can make a circle of one year. If you are even more clever, you can make a circle of whole life. But the circle remains the same. It makes no difference. Bigger or smaller, you move in the same groove. You come back to the same point. Because of this understanding, Hindus have called life a wheel. Your life, of course not a Buddha's life. A Buddha is one who has jumped out of the wheel. You cling to the wheel. You feel very secure there. And the wheel moves on. From birth to death, it completes a circle. Again birth, again death. The word sansar, the word Hindus use for this world means the wheel. It moves in the same groove. You come and go and you do much to no avail. Where you miss, you miss in the first step. The nature of the mind is repetition. And the nature of life is no repetition. Life is always new. Always. Newness is the nature of life, Tao. Nothing is old, cannot be. Life never repeats. 
it simply becomes every day new, every moment new, and mind is old. Hence, mind and life never meet. Mind simply repeats, and life never repeats. How mind and life can meet? That's why philosophy never understands life. The whole effort of religion, how to drop the mind and move into the life, how to drop the repetitive mechanism and how to enter the ever new, ever green phenomena of existence. This is the whole point of this beautiful story. Those arms, five pounds. The master Tozan was weighing some flecks in the storeroom. A monk came up to him and asked, What is Buddha? Tozan said, This flex weighs five pounds. Many things. First, as in master, is not a recluse. He has not renounced life. Rather, on the contrary, he has renounced the mind and entered life. There are two types of sannyasins in the world. One type renounces life and enters the life of the mind completely. These are the anti-life people escaping from the world towards the Himalayas, Tibet. They renounce life to be completely absorbed in the mind. And they are in majority because to renounce life is easy. To renounce mind is difficult. What is the difficulty? If you want to escape from here, you can escape. You can leave the wife, the children, the house, the job. Really, you will feel unburdened because the wife has become a burden, the children has become a burden. And this whole working every day, earning, you are fed up. You will feel unburdened. And what you will do in the Himalayas? The whole energy will become mind. You will repeat Ram, Ram, Ram. You will read the Upanishads and Vedas. And you will think profound truths. You will think from where the world came. Where the world is going. Who created the world? Why he created the world? What is good? What is evil? You will contemplate, think, great things. Your whole life energy which was engaged in other things now will be freed from there and will be absorbed in the mind. You will become a mind. And people will pay respect because you renounced life. You are a great man. 
fools will recognize you that you are a great man. Fools can recognize you only if you are the greatest of them. And they will pay respect. They will prostrate in your feet. You have done a great miracle. But what has happened? You renounce life just to be the mind. You renounce the whole body just to be the head. And head was the problem. You saved the disease and you renounced everything. Now the mind will become a cancerous growth. It will do japa, mantra, austerities. It will do everything. And then it will become a ritual. That's why religious people move in rituals. Ritual means a repetitive phenomena. Every day morning they have to do their prayer. A Mohammedan does five prayers in the day. Wherever he is, he is to do the prayer five times. A Hindu goes on doing the same ritual every day for his whole life. Christians have to go to the church every Sunday. Just a ritual. Because mind likes repetition, mind creates a ritual. In your ordinary life also mind creates a ritual. You love, you meet friends, you go to the parties, everything is a ritual, it has to be done, repeated. You have a program for all the seven days. And the program is fixed. And this has been so always. You have become a robot, not alive. Mind is a robot. If you give too much attention to the mind, it will absorb all your energy. It is a cancer. It will grow. It will spread all over. But a Zen master belongs to the other category of sannyasins. He belongs to my category of sannyasins. A Zen master has always been a neo-sannyasin. Hence I love to talk about them. I have a deep affinity with them. They renounce mind and they live life. They don't renounce life and live mind. Just the contrary. They simply renounce mind because it is repetitive. And they live life. They may be living a life of a householder. They may have a wife. They may have children. They will work in the farm, they will work in the garden, they will dig holes. They will wear flax in the storeroom. A Hindu cannot think. Why an enlightened man should wear flax? Why? 
Why such an ordinary activity? But a Zen master renounces mind, lives life in its totality. He drops the mind and becomes simple existence. So the first thing to remember, if you renounce mind and live life, you are a true sannyasin. If you renounce life and live mind, you are an untrue sannyasin. You are a pseudo sannyasin. And remember well, to be pseudo is always easier. To be real is always difficult. To live with a wife and to be happy is really difficult. To live with children and to be blissful is really difficult. To work in a shop, in an office, in a factory and to be ecstatic is the real difficulty. To leave everything and just sit under a tree and feel happy is not difficult. Anybody would feel that way. Nothing to do, you can be detached. Everything to do, you become attached. But when you do everything and unattached, when you move with the crowd in the world and yet alone, then something real is happening. When you are alone, if you don't feel anger, that is not the point. When you are alone, you will not feel anger, because anger is a relationship. It needs somebody to be angry to. Unless you are mad, alone you will not feel anger. It will be inside, but it will not find any way to come out. When the other is there, then to be not angry is the point. When you don't have any money, anything, any house, if you are unattached, what is the difficulty in it? But when you have everything and you remain unattached, a beggar in the palace, then something something very deep has been attained. Remember, and always keep it in your heart, truth, love, life, meditation, ecstasy, bliss, all that is true and beautiful and good, always exists as a paradox. in the world and not of it, with people yet alone, doing everything and inactive, moving and not moving, living ordinary life. and yet not identified with it. Working as everybody else is working, yet remaining aloof deep down, 
being in the world and not of the world. That is the paradox. And when you attain this paradox, the greatest peak happens to you. The peak experience. It is very easy to move to be a simple existence. Either in the world and attached, or out of the world and detached. Both are simple. But the greater comes only when it is a complex phenomenon. If you move to the Himalayas and are unattached, you are a single note of a music. If you live in the world and are attached, again you are a single note of the music. But when you are in the world and beyond it, and you carry your Himalaya in the heart, you are a harmony, not a single note. A card happens into all discarding notes. A synthesis in the opposites. A bridge between two banks. And the highest is possible only when it is most complex life. Only in complexity the highest happens. If you want to be simple, you can choose one alternative, but you will miss the complexity. If you cannot be simple in complexity, you will be like an animal. Animals are in the Himalayas, living a renounced life. They don't go to a shop, they don't work in a factory, they don't have wives, they don't have children. I have been observing many people who have renounced life. I have lived with them, observed deeply, they become like animals. I don't see in them something of the supreme happening. Rather, on, on the contrary, they have fallen back. Their life is less tense, of course, because animals' life is less tense. They don't have worries, because no animal has worries. In fact, they go on falling, they regress. They become like vegetables, they vegetate. If you go to them, you will see that they are simple. No complexity exists. but bring them back to the world and you will find them more complex than you. Because when the situation arises, they will be in difficulty. Then everything that is suppressed will come out. This is a sort of suppression. Don't regress. Don't move backwards. Go ahead. A child is simple, but don't become a child, become mature. Of course, when you become absolutely mature, 
again a childhood happens but that is qualitatively different a sage is again a child but not childish a sage has again the the flavor the fragrance the newness of a child but a deep difference is also there a child has much repressed things in him whenever opportunity will be given they will come out sex will come out anger will come out he will move into the world and become attached and lost he has those seeds within him a sage has no seeds he cannot be lost he cannot be lost because he is no more he carries nothing within him zen masters have lived very ordinary life very otherworldly but in the world they are more beautiful persons than any hindu sanyasi they are more beautiful persons than any catholic monk in fact nothing like zen exists on the earth because they have attained to the highest paradox the master tosan was weighing some flax in the store room an enlightened person a buddha weighing flax you would have simply turned away why ask any question with this man if he knew anything he should not be weighing flax because you have a concept of a saint a sage as if he is something extraordinary beyond you somewhere in the sky sitting on a golden throne you cannot reach him he is very different whatsoever you are he is just the opposite zen master is not that way he is in no way extraordinary and yet extraordinary he lives the very ordinary life just like you and yet he is not you he is not somewhere in the sky he is here but is still beyond you weighing flex but just the same as buddha under a bodhi tree in india nobody can conceive mahavir weighing flex or buddha weighing flex impossible we look almost profane what buddha is doing in a store room then what is the difference between you and him you also weigh flex he is also weighing flex so what is the difference the difference is not outward and outward differences don't make any change you can go and sit under a bodhi tree 
nothing will happen. And when the inside changes, why be bothered with the outside? Carry on whatsoever you were doing. Carry on whatsoever is given to you. Carry on whatsoever the whole wills. The master Tozan was weighing some flax in the storeroom. A monk came to him and asked, what is Buddha? In Buddhism, that is the greatest question to be asked. Just like, what is truth? Or what is God? Because in Buddhism, God is not a concept. Buddha is God. No other God exists. Buddha is the highest reality, the highest peak. Nothing is beyond it. The truth, the God, the absolute, the Brahm, whatsoever name you give to it, Buddha is that. So when a monk asks, what is Buddha, he is asking, what is truth, what is Tao, what is Brahma, what is that one among the many, what is the basic reality, what is the very central core of existence, he is asking all that. Tozan said, this flex weighs five pounds. Absurd, irrelevant. Seems to be completely pointless because that man was asking, what is Buddha? And this Tozan seems to be a madman. He is not talking about Buddha at all. He has not answered the question at all, and yet he has answered. This is the paradox. If you start living this paradox, your life will become a symphony. It will become a higher and higher synthesis of all the opposites. In you then all opposites dissolve. He said, this flex weighs five pounds, one thing. He said, that this very ordinary life is Buddha. This very ordinary life is truth. This very ordinary life is Brahma, the kingdom of God. There is no other life except this. There is no that. Only this exists. Hindus say, that exists, this is illusion. Tozan says, this is true, that is illusion. This very moment is truth. And don't 
ask for any extraordinary thing. Seekers always ask for something extraordinary because ego feels fulfilled only when something extraordinary is given. You come to a master and you ask questions and if he says such things you will think he is mad or joking or not a man worthy to be asked. You will simply escape. Why? Because he setters your ego completely. You were asking Buddha. You were desiring Buddha. You would like to be a Buddha yourself. Hence the question. And this man says, what nonsense you are asking. Not even worth answering. This vex weighs five pounds. This is more important than any Buddha. This moment, this flex, it's the whole of existence. In this five pounds of flex is centered the whole being of the world here and now. Don't go astray. Don't ask philosophical questions. Look at this moment. Tozan did a wonderful thing. Tozan is a Buddha. Tozan weighing flex is Buddha weighing flex. And reality is one. Tozan is Buddha and the flex is also Buddha. And in that moment it weighed five pounds. That was the truth, the facticity of the moment. But if you are filled with philosophy, you will think this man is mad and you will go away. This happened to Arthur Koestler, one of the keenest intellects in the West. He missed the whole point completely. When he went to Japan to study Zen, he thought these people are simply mad. Or they are joking. Not serious at all. He wrote a book against Zen. It looks absurd. It is. He is wrong and yet right. It is absurd. If you don't know the language of Zen. It is absurd. If you are too much identified with logical thinking, it is absurd. It is illogical. What more illogical thing you can find? Somebody asking what is Buddha and somebody asking, answering this flex weighs five pounds. You ask about the sky and answer about the earth. You ask about God. And I talk about a rock. 
no meeting. But yet there is a meeting. But very perceptive eyes are needed, not intellectually keen, but feeling fully perceptive. Not identified with reasoning, but waiting to look watching, witnessing what is happening, not already prejudiced, but open. Koestler is prejudiced, a very keen intellect, can work out things very logically in the tradition of Aristotle. but does not know anything, that there exists absolutely non-Aristotelian world of Zen, where two plus two are not necessarily four. Sometimes they are five, sometimes they are three. Anything is possible. No possibility is destroyed. All possibilities remain open, infinitely open. And every time two and two meet, something else happens. The world remains open, unknown. You cannot exhaust it. Look Superficially, this man is mad. Deeply you cannot find a saner man than this Tozhan. But Koestler will miss. And Koestler is a keen intellect. Very logical. Only few people can compete with him in keen intelligence. But he misses. In this world, intelligence is a means. In that world, intelligence becomes a barrier. Don't be too wise. Otherwise, you will miss the real wisdom. Look at this Tozhan without any prejudice, without without any mind of your own, simply look at the phenomena, what is happening. A disciple monk asks, what is Buddha? And Zen Master lives in the moment. He is always here and now. He is always at home. Whenever you come, you will find him there. He is never absent from there. He remains in this moment. The trees, the sky, the sun, the rocks, the words, the people. The whole world is concentrated in this moment. This moment is vast. It is not just a tick in your clock. This moment is infinite because in this moment everything is. 
millions of stars. Many new stars being born. Many old stars going to die. This whole infinite expanse of time and space meets in this moment. So how to indicate this moment? And Tozan was weighing flags. How to indicate this moment? How to bring this monk here and now? How to put his philosophic inquiry aside? How to shock him and awake him to this moment and in this moment? This is a shock because he must have been inquiring about Buddha in his mind, thinking about what is the reality of a Buddha? What is truth? And he must be expecting some profound answer. Something very superb. And this master is enlightened. So he must say something very valuable. He never expected that this is going to be such an ordinary thing such an ordinary and absurd answer, he must have been shocked. In that shock, you can be awake for a moment, a fraction of a moment. When you are shocked, thinking cannot continue. If anything relevant is answered, thinking can continue. Because that is what mind asks, relevancy. If something is said which is relevant to the question, thinking can continue. If something is said which is absolutely absurd, discontinuous, is not to the point at all, the mind cannot continue. Suddenly, the mind is shocked and the continuity broken. Soon it will start because the mind will say this is absurd. Mullan Suddin was being analyzed by a psychiatrist. After many months of analysis, in many meetings, the psychiatrist said, Mullah lying on the coach. The psychiatrist said that this is what I feel, this is what I conclude. You need to fall in love. You need a beautiful feminine object. Love is your need. Mullah said, between me and you, don't you think love is silly? The psychiatrist said, between me and you, it would be absurd.
for a moment he must have been shocked. But only for a moment. If you cannot find relevancy, immediately the mind will say, this is absurd. If you find relevancy, the continuity continues. If there is something absurd, for a split second, there is a discontinuity. The mind is not able to cope what has been said, but immediately it recovers. It will say it is absurd. Continuity starts. But the shock and the assertion of the mind that it is absurd, they are not simultaneous. There is a gap. In that gap, Satori is possible. In that gap, you can be awakened. You can have a glimpse. Wonderful would have been the opportunity if it can be used. Wonderful is this man, Tozan, incomparable. You cannot find such a man anywhere else. And what a spontaneous answer, not prefabricated, not in any way ready-made. Nobody has said that ever before. And now there is no point to say it. Nobody has ever said that this flex weighs five pounds. Answering a question about Buddha, what is Buddha? Tozan is spontaneous. He is not answering from the memory. Otherwise he knows the scriptures. He was the greatest scholar before he became enlightened. He knows by his heart. He has chanted all Buddha words. He has discussed philosophy for many years. He knows what he is asking. He knows what he is expecting. But he is simply spontaneous, weighing flags. You just try to imagine and see Tozan weighing flags. In that moment, what can be more spontaneous to indicate to the reality of the moment, the facticity of existence? He simply said, this flex weighs five pounds. And finished. He doesn't say anything about Buddha. There is no need. This is Buddhahood. This being is spontaneous is Buddhahood. This being true to the moment is Buddhahood. What he says is just part of it. What he leaves unsaid is the whole. If you awaken in that moment, you will see Buddha weighing flex and the flex weighs five pounds. What he is indicating? He is not saying much, but he is showing much. And but not saying much, 
He is creating a possibility. You may be, for a single moment, be aware of the whole existence that is there, concentrated in this Pulsan. Whenever a Buddha happens in the world, the whole existence finds a center there. When all the rivers fall in it, and all the mountains bow down to him, and all the stars move around him. Whenever there is an enlightenment, the whole existence converges on his being. He becomes the center. Tozan being flexed in that moment was the Buddha. The whole existence converging, flowing into Tozan. And Tozan weighing flakes, and the flakes weighed five pounds. This moment was so real. If you awaken, if you open your eyes, a satori is possible. Tozan is spontaneous. He has no ready-made answers. He responds to the moment. Next time if you come, the same answer cannot be given, will not be given, because Tozan may not be weighing, or may be weighing something else, or even may be weighing flex, but the flex may not weigh five pounds. Next time the answer will be different. You come again and again, and each time the answer will be different. This is the difference between a scholar and a man of knowledge. A scholar has fixed answers. You come, whenever you come, he has a ready-made answer for you. You ask, and he will give you the answer. And the answer will always be the same. And you will feel he is very consistent. Is. There was once a case against Malana Sudin in the court, and the judge asked his age. He said forty years. But the judge looked surprised and he said, Nasruddin, four years before all you were here, and I had asked that time also what is your age and you told me 40 years now this is absolutely inconsistent how you can be 40 still Nasuddin said I am a man of consistency once 40 I remain always 40 when I have answered once I have answered forever You cannot lead me astray. I am 40. And whenever you will ask, you will get the same answer. I am a man who is always consistent. A consistent man is dead. 
If you are dead, only then you can remain forty. Then there is no need to change. A dead man never grows. And you cannot find more dead persons than pundits, scholars, men of information. An enlightened man lives in the moment, if you ask. He replies, but he has got no fixed replies. He is the reply. So whatsoever happens in that moment, happens. He does not manipulate it. He does not think about it, what you are asking. You simply ask and his whole being responds. In this moment it happened that he was weighing flex. And in this moment it happened that the flex weighed five pounds. And when this monk asked what is the Buddha, in those hands being five pounds was the reality. He was away. In those hands being five pounds was the fact. He simply said five pounds of flex. looks absurd on the surface. If you go deeper, deeper, you find a relevancy which is not logical relevancy. And you find a consistency which is not that of the mind, but of the being. Understand, try to understand the difference. If next time you come, And Tozan is digging a hole in the garden and you ask, what is Buddha? He will give you the answers. He will say, look at this hole. He will say, it is ready. Now the tree can be planted. come again and if he is going for a walk with his walking stick he may say this walking stick whatsoever is in the moment will be the reply because the Buddha lives moment to moment. And if you start living moment to moment, you become a Buddha. This is the answer. Live moment to moment. And you become a Buddha. A Buddha is one who lives moment to moment. Who does not live in the past, who does not live in the future. Who lives here now. Buddhahood is the quality of being present here and now. And Buddhahood is not a goal. You need not wait for you. You can become just here and now.
talking, I am a Buddha, because only talk is happening. If only listening is happening there at the other end with you, you are a Buddha in listening. Try to catch the glimpse of the moment, this moment. This moment, Tozan is not being flexed. Tozan is talking to you. This moment you have not asked what is Buddha. But the question is there. Whether you ask it or not, that the question goes around and around in the mind. What is truth? What is Buddha? What is Tao? Whether you ask it or not, it is the question. You are the question. In this moment, you can awake, you can look, you can shake the mind a little, create a discontinuity, and suddenly you understand which Arthur Koestler misses. You are also too much intelligent, you will miss. Don't be too intelligent. Don't try to be too clever. Because there is a wisdom which is attained by those who become fools. There is a wisdom which is attained by those who become like madmen. There is a wisdom which is attained only when you lose your mind. Tozan is beautiful. If you can see, and if you can see that the answer is not absurd, you have seen it, you have understood it. But if the understanding remains intellectual, it will not be of much use. I have explained it to you. You have understood it. But if the understanding remains intellectual, that you understand by the mind, you again miss. Koestler may be again Zen, and you may be for it, but you both miss. It is not a question of being far or against. It is a question of a non-mental understanding. If it arises from your heart, if you feel it, not think it, if it touches your whole being, if it penetrates, it's not just a a verbal thing, not a philosophy, but becomes an experience. It will transform you. I am talking about these stories just to suck you out of your mind, just to bring you a little down towards the heart.
And if you are ready, then it's still downer towards the navel. Downer you go, deeper you reach. And ultimately, depth and height are the same thing. Enough for today. And if you go mad about it, it is not going to help. A man of understanding accepts limitations. He accepts the possibilities, that which is possible. He knows the impossible. He never tries for the impossible. He relaxes and enjoys the possible. And the more he enjoys, the more perfection comes to his life. But it is no more a worry. It is graceful. And this is the difference. If you come to a really religious man, you will feel a grace around him. Effortless. He has not done anything to himself. He has simply relaxed into the ultimate. And you feel the effortlessness around him. If you come to a person who is a perfectionist, a pseudo-religious man, then everything you will see will be man-made. There will be no grace. Everything clear-cut. Every movement calculated cunning. Everything he is doing is a discipline, not a spontaneity. He lives in a code. His own code becomes his imprisonment. He cannot laugh. He cannot be a child. He cannot be a flower. Whatsoever he is, so much effort he has put into it that everything has become tense and gone wrong. It is not a spontaneous fellow. And this should be the criterion. If you move towards a master, this should be the criterion that he is a spontaneous fellow. Only then he can help you to become a spontaneous fellow on your own part. If he is an enforced perfectionist, he will cripple you. He will kill you completely. He will cut you in many ways. And by the time he thinks you are perfect, you are dead. Only a dead thing can be perfect. A living thing is bound to remain imperfect. Remember this. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. One simply lives. One lives totally. One lives wholly. And doesn't bother about the consequence, what happens. To live in this faith, and this is faith for Suzanne, and this is faith for me also, this is trust. A perfectionist never trusts. 
because he is always looking for the faults. He never trusts anything. Even if you present him a rose, he will immediately find the imperfections. He will not look at the rose, he will look at the imperfections. His eye is that of logic, not of love. He is always doubtful. He cannot trust anybody because he cannot trust himself. You go to your so-called saints, they cannot trust themselves. They are afraid. Because whatsoever they have enforced is enforced, it is not natural and they know if they relax then things will go wrong. If a beautiful woman comes to a saint, you can see that he has become fidgety, uneasy. It may not be on the surface, but if you watch deeply you can feel because he has enforced brahmacharya celibacy and this woman is a danger he cannot allow this woman to be there for long because then his own distrust about himself will come up a man who has not trusted his own life energy, cannot trust anybody. He is an enemy of man, a poisoner. And poisoners are very articulate. They have to be, because they have to be argumentative and defend themselves. And they have to depend on their own mind. And these pioneers have done such a deep harm, such a wound to the whole humanity that it is impossible to think how humanity can come out of it. They have poisoned everything. This is bad, that is bad, this is sin, that is guilt. And they have created around you such a mess that whatsoever you do, you will feel guilty. If you don't do, you will feel guilty because the nature. If you love, you have fallen. If you don't love, you go and feel a deep urge to love. It comes from nature. Nothing is wrong in it. It is as natural as hunger and thirst. And as beautiful as hunger and thirst. But your saints would like you to be just a plastic man. No hunger, no thirst, no love. Then you are perfect. If your whole mechanism is made of plastic, then it will be easy. And scientists are thinking on those lines. To make the whole mechanism plastic, then you don't need any food, you don't need any love, you don't need anything, you become a machine, you are a robot. Sometimes when something goes wrong, you can be sent to the workshop. 
and every day you can go to the filling station and they can fill some petrol in you and everything is okay. Then you will be a perfectionist. Then you will be perfect. But as life is, life is delicate. It is not plastic. It is very delicate. You don't have wires, you have nerves. And the balance is always moving. And nothing is certain and everything goes on melting and merging into the other. That's why you are alive. A man of understanding is not bothered, he is not anxious about non-perfection. He doesn't think in terms of perfection at all. He only lives the moment as holy as possible, as totally as possible. And the more he lives totally, the more he becomes capable to live it. A day comes, he simply lives without forcing any ideals, without thinking any concepts, without making any rules and revolutions about his life. He simply lives and enjoys and delights. To live in this faith is the road to non-duality and this is faith. Because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. And deep inside, if you have a trusting mind, the non-dual will be in front of you. Deep down, if you have doubts, then theories, thinking, words, philosophies, doctrines will be there. And in front, you will be completely blind. You will not be able to see the close. You will be able to only think of the distant. Inside trust outside reality, inside trust outside truth, trust and truth meet and there is no other meeting. Because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind, words, the way is beyond language, for in it there is no yesterday. No tomorrow, no today. The last thing. Suzanne is saying that language is possible if time is. Language is the same gestalt as time. That's why language has three tenses, past, present, future, just like time, past, present, future. Language is time, divided into same categories as time. And life is beyond. Life is neither past. Where is past? You cannot find it anywhere. I have heard once it happened. In a great museum, one man had come to look 
the man was very rich so the best guide was given to him and he washed one head and he asked the guide really didn't know so he said it is the head of napoleon then again a small head and again the man asked and the guide was so much excited with this rich man and he so much afraid he got messed inside and he said this also napoleon's head so the rich man said what do you mean two heads then the guide was at a difficulty and some answer has to be given so he said yes this is his childhood head that is his old age head past exists then childhood head will be there then many heads when you die you have millions of heads leaving behind but you leave only one head not millions of heads past disappears past is nowhere just in the memory where is future future is nowhere just in imagination past is that which is not now and future is that which is not yet that's why mystics have always said only the present is but sozan goes a step ahead and he says no yesterday no tomorrow no today not even present is what he means because he is right absolutely right if there is no past and no present then how no future then how present can exist because present exists only between past and future what is present a passage from the past you move to the future in that movement just for a single moment the present is what is present it is just a passage from the past to the future it is a door from this room to that but if neither this room exists nor that then how the door can exist it is a bridge between past and future and if both the banks are not how the bridge can exist sozan is right sozan says neither past nor future nor present he is saying there is no time and the whole language depends on time past future present language is creation of the mind time is also creation of the mind when you drop language time disappears when you drop thinking there is no past no present no future you go beyond time there is no time 
When there is no time, there is eternity. When there is no time, you have moved into the world of the eternal. The truth is eternal. And all that you have got are temporal reflections of the truth. It is just like a moon has arisen in the sky. It is a full moon night. And you look deep into the lake. And the moon is there. This moon is all that you have. The moon in the lake. The mind mirrors. All truths that you have are mirrored by mind. They are reflections. What Suzanne is saying, Suzanne is saying, forget this lake because this is a mirror. Look beyond. Only then you will be able to see the real moon. And it is there. But you are too much identified with the lake, with the mirroring mind. Drop the mind. And suddenly, everything that you were missing fits. Everything that you were seeking happens. Everything that you always dreamed and desired is there. Everything is fulfilled. The whole message is how to drop out of the mind, language and time. Enough for today.